From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. My guest today is an ear, nose, and throat specialist from Upstate, Dr. Jesse Ryan, who is here to address treatment options for sinusitis. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So let's start out with um, a definition of sinusitis. What, what, is, what does that mean? So when we say sinusitis uh, in the ear, nose, and throat world, we're mostly talking about chronic sinusitis, meaning symptoms that have been present for more than three months. And these are symptoms such as nasal congestion, post-nasal drip, facial pain and pressure, especially over the cheekbones or over the nose, between the eyes. Um, some patients report headaches. And then in combination with this, often patients will have exacerbations of their sinus problems seasonally associated with allergies as the weather changes. So they may have several infections a year um, in addition to their daily symptoms. So that's the main group. And then there's a separate group that's a smaller category that's called recurrent acute sinusitis. And these are patients who have four or more episodes of an acute infection treated with antibiotics, but near resolution, near complete resolution of their symptoms in between episodes. Um, but that overall, that's a smaller category. And often patients don't fit neatly into one um, particular group. Some people have more infections, some people have more daily symptoms. So is sinusitis something that affects many people? It's a major problem in the country. It's a quality of life problem, you know, more than what you think of as a massive medical problem. But when you look at number of people, uh, we're talking about numbers such as 37 million people in the United States, and we're talking about healthcare costs of in the billions of dollars, some estimates of $8 billion a year in costs to treat sinusitis. Um, another uh, statistic that I've seen is useful is one in five antibiotics prescribed in the United States is for sinusitis. So it's a problem that affects a lot of people in a quality of life way that may not drive them to the doctor, um, but is impacting their ability to go to work, to care for their family, to do the activities that they like to do. Right. And so if you're dragging, you're not able to go to work or school. And Okay. So is sinusitis the same thing as a sinus infection? Right. So the, the, uh, a sinus infection that all of us may get on occasion, that would be what we'd call an acute sinus infection. So you have a cold, it lasts for a week, you think you're going to get better, then all of a sudden a lot of drainage from the nose, facial pain and pressure, a fever, that's an acute sinusitis and everyone's allowed to have that. And if that just happens on occasion and you feel fine in between, then there's nothing to worry about. It's when uh, you have daily symptoms that never really go away, or you're getting multiple infections a year, or more commonly in our patient group, both things. So some level of baseline symptoms and then infections on top of that. So if, if you fall into that category, it might be time to see a specialist. Right. That's the time to see someone. And one of the problems is that patients, uh, because it's kind of this low-level um, quality of life issue, it's not driving them to the doctor. Often they'll go to urgent care because they have an infection and it's the simplest thing to do. And they're trying to pick up their children from school and take them to lacrosse practice and they've got an infection. And so it's not something that you know drives them in uh, to their regular doctor in between. Um, but I think knowing that there are treatment options out there for people who have these baseline symptoms that maybe aren't you know, showing up in the emergency room or, or even to the regular doctor. 
So what um, what's an evaluation like? If someone makes an appointment with an ear, nose, and throat doctor for this, what can they expect at the first appointment? So for chronic sinus problems, so we're going to go through a um, discussion of what their symptoms are and how long it's been going on. We want to make sure that the medical treatment's been optimized. So for us, that means making sure considering allergies, nasal sprays, many of which are over-the-counter now. These are things like uh, brand names such as Flonase or Nasonex, and they're mm -hmm. sold under generics now, um, using saltwater rinses in the nose. Uh, and then often it's um, using either a longer course of antibiotics or if patients have been on one or two courses of antibiotics. So making sure that we've optimized medical management and then once medical management's optimized, if symptoms are still present, then we want to obtain a CT scan of the sinuses. And we'd call that a treated CT scan. So we'd like the scan to look as good as possible so that we're not over-offering in terms of interventions or procedures. So do the scan when they're feeling the best that they feel as opposed to when they are sickest? Correct. We want to get the scan after they've been on a sufficient treatment at least several weeks of the nasal sprays, saltwater rinses, and either a couple different antibiotics or one longer course of antibiotics. Um, often during the exam in the office, we'll take a look with a small camera inside the nose to try to see if there's any signs of active infection or inflammation or, or any um, inflammatory changes in the nose that might be blocking the drainage of the sinuses. Okay. Well, I want to hear about um, treatment options, but let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Jesse Ryan, an otolaryngologist at Upstate who treats chronic sinusitis. So once the medical management, once the medications aren't really offering the relief that's needed, um, what are the options that you can offer people? So what we do is um, I typically will bring a patient back to the office, uh, either on the same day they get the CT scan or following it, the combination of what symptoms are still present and what the scan looks like. So we'll sit and look at the scan together in the office in detail and specifically looking at the drainage patterns for the sinuses and what is blocked and how that relates to their symptoms. So there are three uh, main categories of treatment options for patients. One is to continue medical management. So continue with saltwater rinses and nasal sprays and allergy medications, antibiotics when you need them. And because this is a quality of life problem, that's almost always an option for patients. Nobody needs to have a procedure done. If they're tired of taking antibiotics or want to consider the next level, then uh, the next step are office-based procedures. So that's using uh, small tools and cameras in the nose under local anesthetic in the office uh, to dilate the drainage pathways of the nose that are affected either on the scan or based on symptoms. And then a small number of patients will need to go on to have a surgery in the operating room. So I would say in our practice now, it's a much lower percentage. Um, the data has been fairly compelling that the uh, improvement in symptoms and reduction in infections uh, are essentially equivalent if you do a more aggressive surgery in the operating room or a less invasive procedure in the office. But in the office, you get faster return to work, lower risks than going to the operating room, and you don't burn any bridges. And in my mind, it's like you have a, a tooth, uh, you have a cavity. Right? Do you fill the cavity or do you pull the tooth? Well, the, the dentist, for the most part, will fill the cavity 
first before they pull the tooth. So this is um, akin to that in the in the sinus world. And then you have another option if the if the first one doesn't work, you have something right. to fall the, back on. The uh, the data that's coming out would suggest that about five percent of patients will fail the initial treatment or go on to need uh, another therapy, whether it's an additional procedure in the office or a surgery in the operating room in the following two years. But for the vast majority of patients, it's been a durable um, improvement in symptoms. So if you get a benefit, and most people do, who, who, have the, who are eligible for the procedure, uh, then that benefit's expected to stay with them. So what are the sinus passages blocked by? So the, the normal anatomy of the sinuses relies on very small outflow pathways on the order of a few millimeters. So it can be just a variant of anatomy. Some people are at higher risk because they have narrower passages than others. Others can be commonly allergy may promote a little bit of inflammation around the outflow tract, and that shifts patients over a threshold where now instead of just having normal drainage, they get pain and pressure um, they get increased risk of having an infection. So where you might get a cold and you get over the cold, some patients get a cold, and every time that Can't happens, it, it turns into a sinus okay. infection. So that's a common uh, pathway that we see. So tell me about this, how this works with this in-office balloon sinus dilation. Right, it's, this has been an exciting uh, development in the sinus world. Um, the devices were FDA-approved 10 years ago now, or slightly more than 10 years ago. So it's been around, and... Um, Initially, was used more in the operating room, but as we've been better at getting uh, patients comfortable in the office and using our local anesthesia protocols, we've been able to transition more and more patients to the office. We've been able to offer um, additional procedures that normally would be done in the operating room in the office as well. So these are tools that allow us to treat patients less invasively um, and equally effectively with lower risk and faster return to activity. Uh, they're typically a small six millimeter balloon that we're using. So we use a, a three millimeter. It goes millimeter in through the nose? Through the nose. So we first we numb patients up uh, with a lot of topical numbing agents. We let them sit for 15 or 20 minutes in the nose. And then we do some small injections in the nose once you're numb. So similar to a dental type visit. And our goal for the procedure is about a, a pain scale of one or two out of 10 for the whole procedure. And you know, overall, we're able to achieve that. Um, often patients really don't feel the injections once they've been numbed up sufficiently. Um, then we use a, a three millimeter rigid camera in the nose and do the procedure on a monitor in the office. Um, the balloon device itself, nothing stays in the nose. It, it does the dilation and then comes out. So it inflates? It inflates to uh, a high level of pressure that's able to kind of shift over um, little eggshell size bones in the nose that surround the drainage pathways. So the balloon will expand to six millimeters and uh, open the drainage pathway, and then the balloon comes out. And that tool can be used to address uh, between one sinus or six sinuses, depending on where the symptoms are um, and how bad the problem is. So how long will it stay open? If you've opened the passageway, does it? Well, the, the data that's out has followed patients for a couple of years, and the patients who get a positive result have maintained that result out to a couple of years. Hmm. Um, the data are still coming out for longer term 
results, but the expectation is that once it's open and working, that it should stay open. The caveat would be if you have severe underlying allergies, there's no procedure or surgery that's going to change that. You know, those symptoms still need to be treated, so patients may still need nasal sprays or saltwater rinses in the nose, um, and that's a patient-to-patient -patient variation depending on what their underlying problem is. Uh, well, are, are there any risks to the procedure? There are, of course. Any procedure has its risks. Um, the biggest risk would be that it fails to solve someone's problem or that they need another procedure in the future. So we track uh, a sinus questionnaire that looks at 20 different areas and asks patients to grade them from zero to five. So we check that before the procedure and then add a few months afterwards to look for an improvement. So again, if you get an improvement on that uh, kind of quality of life scale, that tends to be maintained. Um, so that would be maybe not a serious risk, but a, a possible problem. On the more serious risk side, we tell every patient that any sinus surgery, we're working between the eyes and below the brain, called the skull base, which separates the brain from the nose. So in traditional operating room sinus surgery where bones are being removed and, and cut, that a risk of injury to one of those structures is about one in a thousand. And I tell patients that that risk is lower in the office, but never zero. Okay. Well, that makes sense. It's an exciting option to have to be able to offer. It, it's been very exciting to, uh, to help bring this to the Syracuse area. And um, I think it's, it's been great for many patients, and we're hopeful that it continues to be a really positive experience for patients. I appreciate you being here to explain it. My guest has been sinusitis expert Dr. Jesse Ryan from Upstate's Department of Otolaryngology. I'm Amber Smith for the podcast and talk show produced by Upstate HealthLink on Air.